Here's the thing. Girl! Russians, Papa! The Russians! What you doing hanging up there on the wall? Yasek Dachatel Nochitia Govarit Poruski. That's what I said to you earlier. That what? What? What was that? That means was that code? I always wanted to learn how to speak Russian. Okay. Yes. But you didn't because you had to read that off the paper. I. That was not cool. <laughs> that was not cool <laughs> at all. I was not allowed to learn how to speak Russian because my parents wouldn't let me. Because so they were good patriots. That's why I know French. Well, oh. no, at that time, everybody thought Japan was going to take over. So. Right. Whatever. So your parents wouldn't let you learn Russian because it wasn't going to be like practical from a job sense. I guess. It's okay. my dad. I, know. I mean, can anyone explain him? No. Welcome. Hey, everybody. Welcome to How Have You Not Seen This? I'm Daniel. That's Tracy. It's a podcast. I'm Tracy, and that's Daniel. You'll catch on. Yeah. We show what each is, other movies. Yeah. What's it about? Tell them. Uh, we take turns showing each other movies that one of us hasn't seen yet, and then we say, hey, how have you not seen this? Yeah. Usually I'm like, are you fucking kidding me that you haven't seen this? And he's like, ugh. Yeah. And then with me, I'm like, no, I mean, there's a reason I haven't seen it. That's not right. <laughs> You've loved <laughs> so many of the movies that I've I showed you. last week's. You loved Bowfinger. I did. I highly recommend it. It's a great movie. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. Highly. Highly. Now, there's a reason that I was speaking Russian to you earlier. What would that reason be? That reason is that this week's movie is The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming. Mm-hmm. A 1966 deluxe color American comedy film directed by Norman Jewison in Panavision. Yeah. It's, That's from Wikipedia. <laughs> it's super wide. It's definitely from that era of, like, we've got to compete with TV. Yes. Like, let's make big, you know, VistaVision Cinemascope. Uh, big, wide, wide movies. Yes, yes. It is based on the Nathaniel Benchley novel, The Off-Islanders, and was adapted for the screen by William Rose. Okay. It's audio. No one else could see the fact that you just whipped your head and stared at me when you said William Rose like you were accusing a murderer. That's okay. (laughs) And written by, bum, 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 William Rose. That's because... Whenever I like, I know, I'll say these random names that mean nothing to me, and he'll be like, "Of course, uh, he did the cinematography on a little-known uh, short film in 1972 called Blah Blah." And I'm like, "What the fuck, man?" And he's okay. like, uh, "He was actually the um, the inspiration for the cinematographer for uh, Batman Begins." Okay, okay well, so I, I didn't know that. Your impression of me is, Thank you. I sound like a real douchebag. Well, you're a big dork. <sighs> okay. I love you so much. I love you too. Okay, so let me just break it down. Let me break it down for you. I'm going to give you a little... Uh, the Wikipedia... <laughs> the Wikipedia... Um, uh, summary. Summary. Thank you. I don't know what is wrong with me today. Is ridiculously long, and I am not going to do all of that. Isn't but the it weird idea... when you find one that's like super overwritten? Yeah, somebody got real excited. <laughs> like, like, did you make this movie? Yeah, this is very They're detailed. Like, Someone needs to know literally every detail that happened. Right. Uh, this person stubbed their toe. Then the John movie. comes out. He's wearing a brown shirt. He's yeah. clearly changed. It symbolizes sadness. You're exactly. like, okay, what's going on? So. Um, The film depicts the chaos. This is from Wikipedia. The film depicts the chaos following the grounding of the Soviet submarine uh, Sprut. 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 
Sporuta. Exactly. Which means octopus off a small New England island during the Cold War. Mm-hmm. And it's all these hijinks. Uh, our producer is chewing on her bone, just in case you hear that. Mm-hmm. She has decided to take the day off because she's just really bad at her she job. She never actually works when it's her day on, either. No, no. Uh, and but you, know anyway, what she, you know what she gets paid? This what? is true. $275,000 a year. She's one of the highest paid podcast producers in the world. We are really missing out. On, and, and what do we get out of it? On a great job opportunity. What do we get out of it? I don't know. We get dick. Is what she's we just, get. I think she's just coasting. Yes. Anyway, um, this film is about essentially the, this captain uh, of, a, of a Soviet sub wants to see America. And his crew's like, oh, God, you're too close, you're too close. And he's like, no, I'm not. Everyone shut up. And he ends up grounding them by accident. So he sends his political officer, who's the only one who speaks really good English. I mean, if you, well, it's, you know. Relatively good. Relatively good. It's Mm -hmm. a hell of a lot better than my Russian. Mm -hmm. A waka, a waka. Well, I mean, you know. Is that Russian? I'm going to give you some Russian if you don't watch it. Um, Anyway, uh, he sends his political officer who's played by in his very first major film role no way alan arkin yes he gets he this is a major his role very first film role alan arkin wow is sent ashore with eight other soldiers we got to talk about that yes eight other naval officers to get a boat to tow the sub the sprut back out into the water mm-hmm. and Oh, my God. Hijinks like you wouldn't believe ensue. We've got Carl Reiner, Eva Marie Saint, Alan Arkin, Brian Keith, Theodore Bikel, Jonathan Winters, Paul Ford. Um, we've got even more than that, and I will get to them. Yeah. But it is so... It is a Manford family classic. My maiden name is Manford, for those of you who do not know me. Um, when I say that, like, my father... And I know I talk a lot about my dad on this podcast. I don't have, like, some weird thing. It's just that my mother's not, like, so much into movies. Like, with my mom, you're going to watch true crime. You're going to watch British procedurals. And you're going to watch Love Actually. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it. With dad, my dad's the one that gave me my really good movie background. Sure. Yeah. Don't, wouldn't you agree? No, yeah, I think so. And what's similar is I had a similar experience. Now, then, there were a lot of movies. Yes, you my did dad liked My experience. dad liked movies a bit more and had some more movies that shaped him. And as I was a, you know, growing up, especially in, like, middle school and high school, he would say, add this to your list. He would give me a list of movies to see, yes. which movies he loved as a teenager and early 20-something. So that's why I got introduced to a lot of movies from the 70s that he loved because he was in his 20s at the time. My mom wasn't as big into movies, but the movies she liked, I got to see younger than I maybe should have. She's the one that let me see Die Hard uh, that we taped off of HBO uh, when I was young and like loved it. I was like, this is awesome. Dad's like, you saw that? And I was like, mom let me. So then, you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Mom, anyway, I gotta go. Mom also took me to the dollar theater to see Die Hard with a Vengeance. She's a good mom. It's a great mom. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's similar. So, but broadly though, similar to yours, like my dad was the one who was more into movies. Yeah. And who was more like, you gotta see this. I love this movie. And yeah. so... That's how. Well, and yeah. this is one of my dad's favorites. Also, William Rose also wrote um, uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, or as Suzanne Sugarbaker would call it, There's some black people coming over for dinner. Which I think is... Wildly racist. 
for those of you who don't know, Designing Women is now available on Hulu. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. Kiss your schedules goodbye. Yes. Uh, But he also, more importantly, wrote, well, not more importantly, but as importantly, wrote It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, which is, you could play, you could be playing it. That makes sense. Just hear the music. My dad would just hear the music from the other room and be like, this is this scene. So that's why Carl Reiner's in it. Not Carl Reiner. That's why uh, Jonathan Winters. Winters is in it. And, uh, oh, there are other people that were also I completely get that it's the same screenwriter. Yep. The vibe is really similar. That kind of manic, It's a big, fun. broad, wacky comedy that as it goes on, more and more stuff comes undone. Yep. You, and keep, like, you keep cutting to, like, different mm-hmm. people, it's like, different uh, scenes. It starts to snowball, yep. like, the, the wackiness. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yep. that yep. makes total I sense. I know. I know. Did not know that. Well, that's why you have me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, before we get into all about it, tell me what you thought. I thought it was hilarious and really fun. I'm uh, so glad. I went into it. You will not be disowned. Cool. That's by my father. This podcast is really just like a check for me to get to stay in the house. Oh yes. Uh, I thought it was a really fun, cute movie. Uh, it reminded me a lot of it's a mad, 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 mad world. So it makes total sense that it's the same screenwriter. Which you didn't like, so I was worried. Yeah, and I might need to revisit. I haven't seen it since I was young. I wasn't a fan of it when I was young. It felt because it's a long movie. It's a it big, is. it's a big chaotic movie. Yes. And for a young kid, it's like a lot to process. Yeah. Um, but I thought this was funny. I thought it was a really good cast. I thought the physical comedy was good, really strong. Mm. I thought the the character comedy was was really good and well done. I thought it definitely had a really fun vibe and got even stronger as it went along. Like it starts off with kind of like, you know, like wacky setup, like some Soviets wash up on this Island, got to figure out what to do. They wind up interacting with a family, taking them hostage briefly. Some of them sneak into town once he's behind. So as the group splits up and more and more things start to happen, word gets out, people in town start to figure out or think they know what's going on. So then a panic spreads. So then just more and more things go haywire quicker and quicker and quicker. Mm-hmm. And it plays on like, the psychology of like crazy small towns going nuts. It reminded me a lot of Springfield from the Simpsons. Right. Uh, well, of anybody, any, yeah. any group of people going nuts. Just like a, a mob mentality forms instantly. Meanwhile, um, you have Jonathan Winters constantly mm-hmm. going, we've just got to get organized. We've got to get organized. Which I love so perfect. much. Yeah, he's great. And I love Jonathan Winters. <laughs> One of the funniest, most brilliant comedians of Can't his generation. One of the best comics of his generation. Influential. Incre- mm-hmm. His his physical comedy is amazing. He, I remember there's one clip I've seen a bunch when he was on I can't remember who was the host of The Tonight Show at the time. It was Jack Parr, Steve Allen but Jonathan Winters is just doing prop comedy with a stick and he's moving back and forth between sketches. Like one he pretends it's a fishing rod. One he pretends it's a spear he gets hit with as an explorer. Wow. And it's just just a guy with one prop and voices and body language, and he slaughters. Yeah. He's so good. So I love yeah. seeing him in this movie. There's a scene that that my sister and I would rewind over and over and over, and, and if she's listening, she'll know what I'm talking about. And I, it wouldn't make any sense. It won't translate uh, over the air. But he's talking to his entire family about how they have to, you know, stay – stay calm because the Russians have, you know, invaded and whatever. And he has this, and he walks into the room and he has this huge family of Seven children. kids or something. Huge family of children sitting around a table and a baby. And he's going, you've got to, you've got to listen to your mother. You've got to stay, you've got to stay organized. You've got to, everyone's got to do this. You understand? Do you understand? And he like just leans over to the baby and goes, understand? The baby goes, eh. And then he's like, okay. And it's just the physical comedy of it. 
I start laughing and I'm like, rewind, rewind. And Daniel's like, okay. And then it does it again. And I'm like, rewind, rewind. <laughs> yeah, it's a good gag. It's a really it's good gag. It's just adorable. There's really solid physical comedy throughout. Like at one point, Carl Reiner and the woman who plays the telephone operator in town. Uh, From Bed and Broomsticks. Uh, are taken hostage and tied up together. And so they have to try and escape. So they're tied. They're tied together back to back. They flip around front to front. They hop through an office. They have to hop downstairs. It like... The physical comedy is His really face is smushed in her boobs. It really builds on itself in a really fun, kind of like crazy classic yeah. '60s wacky way. We may have a pop up here. I said we may have a pop up here. A pop up. A pop up. I thought it was also really interesting that this movie was as gentle as it was and sympathetic for the mid 60s i mean i will talk about that. like it's this came out and you said 66 yes so cold war's at its peak uh kennedy's been dead three years um it's it's a crappy time to be alive in america only two years after the cuban missile crisis yeah exactly bad pigs was not much not much before this um so uh it's it's crazy to see how gentle it was i thought i was like oh this is they're not just taking the pits and going like a satire but then like we're gonna beat these rushkies like they're surprisingly gentle and it's about them being friends and um seeing each other as equals and it's about finding the commonality for each other. yeah i was like i was surprised i was surprised by that like i wasn't surprised that they were playing it as a comedy because it's a good setup for a comedy like soviets get stranded on an island in new england and have to like sneak out again and they played it for a fun comedy but when it turned to the end Tour, I thought they were just gonna like escape somehow, but the fact that it became about them getting along with each other and being yep. friends and respecting each yep. other, I was surprised by that. Yeah, like I don't know if we should tell. Maybe we don't tell how. What I won't get into together. specifics, but well, I but would they, say. But they the end general up. Vibe, they end surprised. up finding each other, find being friends. Yeah. And being friends, still knowing who they are mm-hmm. and what's going on, but realizing, oh fuck, we're all just humans in this you saw these people these uh naval officers who were like i do not want to be doing this i do not want to be pointing guns at children i do not want to be you know what i mean Mm -hmm. they were just part of it and they had to be part of it whether they wanted to or not Mm -hmm. and 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 i think when you're faced with faced with the war it's one thing to like be on your submarine and be floating around and like yeah fuck america but then you're like oh wait hang on Mm -hmm. those are kids and i have kids at home and there's a woman and i have a wife at home and you know what i mean yeah they're they're portrayed as surprisingly sympathetic especially toward the end yes Mm -hmm. yes um yeah so uh what's you're you're talking about this is from moviediva.com uh director uh norman jewison who is just spectacular also directed uh moonstruck which is one of my all-time favorites yeah tons of credits i mean just Mm -hmm. he's flipping amazing um was intrigued by the premise of a comic novel by nathaniel benchley called the off islanders and optioned it with his own money then he commissioned the script from william rose who did oh my god everything the lady killers guess who's coming to dinner it's a mad 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 Like, like he did a ton of stuff um, it was only two years after the Cuban Missile Crisis and a short time since the blacklist of Hollywood writers 
uh, for alleged commu- communist, communist, communist sympathies had been broken by Kirk Douglas and Spartacus in 1960. The creative team, which included producer Walter Mirisch, wanted to make a strong political statement under the guise of, quote, it's only a comedy. The film was a huge, huge hit and made Alan Arkin a star. Um, and, and I've got more about, you know, the whole Russian. I mean, this movie actually inspired an academic paper. Really? Yeah. About? Um, hang on, I'll find it. Diplomacy or? Yeah. So, trying to find my notes. La, 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 la. la, la. He knows that I just looking for notes I and then taking so the notes and then there so many notes. Then we take a look at notes. Then they didn't print. <laughs> and now I'm annoyed. Oh, well, and also, okay, so their budget was three point nine million. They made twenty one point six nine million. They did okay. Yeah, this was in the sixties. That's a hearty return in the sixties. Yep. Oh, here we go. The Russians are coming, the Russians are coming, reconsidering Hollywood's Cold War, quote-unquote, turn of the 1960s. Written by Tony Shaw in Film History, an international journal, Indiana University Press, volume 22, number 2, 2010, pages 235 to 250. Uh, This article, well, I, you Mm -hmm. know, want to be that person. This article challenges the view that one of America's most important sources of entertainment and persuasion, Hollywood, transformed its coverage of the Cold War during the 1960s. In particular, it questions whether American cinema really altered its attitude towards Soviet communism. It does this principally um, via an in-depth analysis of The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, the second highest grossing American Cold War movie of the 1960s and the most Soviet-friendly one. The origin, production, content, and reception of the film are looked at in detail, and the film placed fully within its cinematic, cultural, political, and diplomatic context, blah, blah, blah. But um, I think that's very interesting. And when you watch this, you're like, holy crap, were you allowed to... I'm amazed that they were allowed to make this, and it wasn't, uh, you know, shouted down. But in fact, this I think you'll find very interesting... I am, for those of you who listen to My Favorite Murder, I am the Georgia of this group in that I am always looking through my papers and spazzing out, Um, which is fine. Also from MovieDiva.com, when the Russian ambassador to the U.S. heard that a film had been made in which the Russians were not villains, he asked for a print to be sent to the embassy. It traveled across Europe from one Russian embassy to another and finally was screened in the Kremlin. Damn. I know. Jewison was invited to attend a screening in Moscow at the Soviet Filmmakers Union. Whoa. Um, he, could, he was able to attend because he was Canadian, not American. Oh. Yes. Uh, one of the few Hollywood directors ever invited to Russia. Mm-hmm. The film was screened in a huge theater with many of the most prominent Russian filmmakers in attendance. And this is what I love. At the end, they got to their feet, clapping, some weeping, showing Jewison it was not just the Americans who were hoping for reconciliation, but that it was a universal hope between both nations. Mm-hmm. Perhaps it may have taken a small step towards thawing the Cold War. Nice. Uh, she says recent DVD fil- reviews of the film talk about it being quaint and being a gentle comedy, like you said. Mm-hmm. But it was anything but when it came out. And the theme of refusing to acknowledge an enemy's humanity is 
forever topical. I challenge you to substitute another disparaged minority for the Russians and try visualizing them as equally human. Yeah. Think and, about it. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think one of the reasons it works so well is because uh, it's like one of those movies you can play both ways because it's very gentle and doesn't view the Russians as like big, faceless, evil monsters. But at the same time, it's also very, you know, supportive of the the Americans. Like, the, you know, at the end, they, they come together and rally, and these people are heroic and noble and good people and, and honorable and Brian Keith patriotic is in a lot of ways. badass. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, it reminds me of, so, like, you could view it as, you know, it's, a, it's making fun of the Russians because they're the inept ones that get shipwrecked, you know? Yes. And then the Americans are the one. Once you stand up and say, hey, we're not going to put up with this stuff from you, but, and we'll help get you out of here. But the Americans are also Exactly. Well, that's goofballs. that's the thing. The Americans are also a wreck. It reminds me a little bit of Invasion of the Body Snatchers from the 50s, which could be oh. read as either a warning against the conformity of communism or warning against groupthink and conformity in general. Oh. So you can read it both ways and kind of, depending on which audience you want to play to, you can be fine with it. Yeah. So uh, I think I think this was, was really well done. Yeah, there's a... There's a great, uh, he gives this speech, Chief Maddox, who's Brian Keith, who, come on, dreamy, dreamy. I don't even care. Oh, I remember when I saw him for the first time in the parent trap, and I was like, well, that's for me. What's up? How you doing? And I'm sure my parents were like, how old are you? This is going to be a that's problem. That's a beefy old man. This is mm-hmm. going to be a problem. I mean, whatever. You come in here scaring people half to death. Rishlina Pugalina rode the smerti. Steal cars and motorboats. Radiote machine, Lotki. Yeah, you cause damage to private property. Bordity Mustisva. Then you threaten the whole community with, with uh, grievous bodily harm and maybe murder. Grazitio Nasalenio. Now we ain't gonna take no more of that, see? Moi etava nipas volume. We may be scared. We zapugani? I am, anyway. Well, maybe we ain't so scared as you think we are, see? Non ye nastolko kak vidumete. Now you say you're gonna blow up the town, huh? Vigavirici at Kroitje Palbu. Well, I say. I say, all right, you start shooting and see what happens. And you're like, dude, you are saying that to a man who is pointing one of those big guns. Yeah. Like bomb guns. So that's where the Americans get to stand up and be yep. the heroes who, yep. who like take charge and say, listen, get out of here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so we also had a little romance, which uh, is kind of across the board reviews from the 60s i mean i read Mm -hmm. variety um and new york times reviews from the the 60s the original reviews till now they're kind of like this is kind of the weakest part of the movie but they're never going to see each other again they're never going oh but i don't like to think that i like to think they're going to see each other and get married okay what she's talking about is one of the one of the one of the roskies john philip law okay dude barbarella haven't seen it Okay, so one of the Ruskies is assigned to sit He's with so fine. the family house that the Russians first come across, which is lived, uh, occupied for the summer by Carl Reiner and Eva Marie Saint and their their kids. Barbarella. And at one point, 
Carl Reiner escapes. Long story. So the the dude, uh, Alexei is his name. Alexei is staying behind, and he's keeping an eye on the folks remaining there, which is the kids and the babysitter from town. Who's super foxy. Allison. Super smoking 60s blonde. Yep. Uh, they, of course, they know each other for about 45 minutes, and are like, we're probably in love. And they hit it off, and they walk yeah. on the beach, and he's like, but he doesn't stay. Like, it's not like he stays behind, or they swap addresses. Like, Well, he could probably he, he, write her they, name they're leaving. and send it to that. The Russians are leaving at the end, and he's like, I know we'll be together again somehow. And he's sail off, and like, credits, and you're like, they never see each other again. I believe they get together again. I believe they never saw each other again. I was hoping he would stay behind. Well, like, I think we all know who the romantic in this family is. I thought he would stay behind or something. C'est moi. He, if he could have, like, snuck away, like, oh, we can't find Alexei. He got shot. And then he just, like, lives with Allison. And that they live their little life off the grid. <sighs> okay, changing subjects. Okay. What do Blazing Saddles, It's a Wonderful Life, The Towering Inferno, Airplane, and Under the Yum Yum Tree all have in common? Blazing Saddles, Airplane... It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Joseph Barak. Yeah, I wouldn't cinematographer. Have, didn't wouldn't have guessed that. I know, I know. Mm-hmm. I just thought that you'd like that. That's from AfterTheSilence.com. Interesting. From Fritzy Kramer. Uh, I thought you'd like that since you love It's a Wonderful Life so much. It, it's a it's a great movie. I cry at the end every time. I cry that I had to watch it. I defy... You are kidding me. <laughs> I don't You like feel it. nothing in that movie? I don't like it. <gasps> I don't care. I don't like it. <sighs> so here's something interesting. Uh, although, the, although set on the fictional Gloucester Island, and it was really cute to listen to the Russians, you are making so much noise with that drink. Like, so much noise. I'm sorry, everybody. He's making so much noise. If those of you that like ASMR or ARSM or I don't know what it is. AFLCIO, I know those are the right letters, but it's in a different whatever. Then you can listen to my husband drinking. For me, it's I have that misophonia, and it makes me want to jump across and strangle him. I apologize for the sounds that might have picked up, everybody. They anyway, they're trying to say Gloucester, 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 and he's like Gloucester, and they're like Gloucester, Gloucester, Gloucester. No, there are no bases at Gloucester. Look, he's the Lost The movie was filmed on the coast of Northern California, mainly in Mendocino. Mendocino? <laughs> no, yeah, it know. definitely it definitely looks like it looks like California. It's You're Cali. Not, yeah. Okay, I wouldn't know because I've never been. I mean, I've been, but I've never like. I always think of that gag from I want to say Austin Powers too, where they're like driving, and he's like. You know what's amazing is how the hills of England look in no way like Southern California. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, it's like when, when uh, I'm a photographer and my pictures were used in uh, two episodes of Criminal Minds. And it was supposed to be uh, shot. It was supposed to be in Texas. And at one point, I'm sorry, it was supposed to be in northern Texas. And at one point, one shot, you see these signs that very clearly say dune parking. And we're like, uh... That's not that's not right. There are no dunes in Amarillo. Yeah. Sorry. That's it's just one of those things. Like I saw I was like I didn't know where it was shot. Obviously it's shot on location. Yeah. But the harbor scenes were filmed yeah. uh in Novo Harbor in Fort Bragg, California. Um because of the filming location on the West Coast, the dawn scene at the beginning of the film was actually filmed at dusk through a pink filter. 
And if you go to themoviedistrict.com, you can see all the places that where they filmed. And they have, it's a really cool website. They have um, Google Maps where you can like look, actually look at the location, stuff like that. Cool. I think that's fun. The submarine used was also, it was a fabrication. The U.S. Navy refused to loan one for production. Lame. Schmucks. Dorks. And barred the studio from bringing a real Russian submarine. Well... I mean, I guess that makes How sense. How would they have gotten a real I Russian submarine? I don't know. Like, you just call Russia? Hey, like, can we borrow a sub? Can we have a sub? Because I know that we're, like, in a war, but we want to make a movie. Yeah. Uh, the Mirish Company rented a mock-up of a submarine that had been used in the 1965 film Morituri. Okay. I'm assuming that's how it's pronounced. I don't know. Probably offended a lot of people sorry the planes used were actual f-101 voodoo jets from the 84th fighter interceptor yeah, squadron those were some real ass jets located at the nearby hamilton air force when Base. it cuts the shots of the jets flying and them inside i was like this is really rare uh unconventional footage it was badass right for a, a mid-60s movie i was like whoa was those are real jets flying it's because it was uh, an air force it was a base located right by the island quote-unquote island i'm sure. doing i'm doing quotes like you guys can see what i'm doing can't you, know? you see me <laughs> she's uh, still doing them i am still like quotes 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 um okay now i'm gonna blow daniel's mind get ready get ready for me to blow your mind um much of the dialogue uh, was spoken by the much of the dialogue um, that was spoken by the Russian characters was Russian. I mean, it was actual Russian. It really? wasn't gibberish. That was real Russian. And these were all American actors at a time when few American actors were actors were adept at Russian accents. Uh, musician and character actor Leon Belasco, who was born in Russia, spoke fluent Russian, and specialized in foreign accents during his 60-year career, was the dialogue director. Alan Arkin, a Russian speaker raised in a Russian Jewish household, Whoa. did so well as Rozanov that he would later in his career be sought to play both American and ethnic characters. Theodore Bikel was able to pronounce Russian so well he could speak the language proficiently that he won the role of the submarine captain. Huh. Um, Alex Hasilev of the Limelighters also spoke fluent Russian and played the sailor Hrushevsky. Sure. John Philip Law also spoke Russian. Alexei. 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 Okay. Um, Brian Keith spoke fluent Russian. Didn't need to in the movie, but he's like, I can speak it. They're like, we don't need you to. And he's like, all right, well, just Brian let, Keith. letting you I know. I bet he's got a story. I'm just saying, two. like, what the... That's no, amazing. I was going to ask you about that because what I thought was also interesting, or maybe more what I mean is reflective of its time, is all the scenes where the Russian sailors are speaking Russian to each other are not subtitled. I know, and that's awesome. And I, I think it's interesting that they did that. My gut is it's because it was the mid-60s and they were they were worried about putting subtitles in a movie, that it might spook people. And it was also just like of that time they were like, just do broad gestures and body language and we'll figure it out. It felt very of its time to just like have them talk with no subtitles. See, and I think, and I read an article, oh, one of the articles that I read, it might have been on Movie Diva, it might have been, I can't remember where, but they feel like you can actually turn on... Um, like on a DVD or something, on a like DVD, subtitles? subtitles and know what they're saying. Sure. But they feel like, they felt like part of the part of the movie bless you producer she just sneezed part of the movie part of the 
what makes it so mm-hmm. great is them yelling in Russian constantly sure. and trying to figure stuff out and like explain stuff to the other person and it's all part of the gag it's all part of the physical yeah. gag yeah it definitely I think the, the gag parts come through uh, in certain scenes later where they're trying to like learn certain English phrases or, or get over stuff it just I noticed I was like oh wow they're not going to subtitle any of this And that's why I was curious. I was like, are they speaking actual Russian? Because I have no way of knowing. I did not see anything that said, you know me and my research. I did not see anything that said they did not want to do subtitles because they were afraid of that. Um, I think that it was genuinely supposed to be part of the Mm -hmm. shtick. Sure. Well, what's interesting is like I... I, it, it It took me just like a beat longer to pick up on some stuff toward the beginning um, as they were all like, you know, like the relations of the officers who reports to who, what they're saying, you know, because like, Oh, okay. Then, then you get it. Then they get on land and like, it becomes a little clear. Daniel doesn't like opera. I have been to one opera. I'd never been to opera before, but a few years ago I was like, you know what? Oh. I'm going to expand my horizons. I'm going to give opera a try. I'm going to go to opening night at HGO. What does opening, opening night, night matter? It's a, it's hundreds of years old. People have seen it already. It's all the blue hairs of Houston. I was not in a tux. I'm going to go to opening night of La Boheme with my wife to one of her favorite operas that reminds her of her grandmother. I didn't know that at the and time. Yes, you did. I probably did. And I'm going to sit there like I'm being tortured. Didn't know. I was, oh. I was not aware of my body language. Ooh. But like five minutes in, I was like, oh, this is going to last a while. And he couldn't follow the subtitles of the opera, which is baffling to me because this man is genuinely one of the smartest no, people I've they, ever met in my life. I could follow the subtitles. I was just, what caught You said me, you couldn't. No, I followed the subtitles. I was just like, they're saying the same thing over and over and over again. Like... They're singing. They're just repeating themselves. You'd hate Rigoletto. Okay, I don't even know. Is that a kind of opera or is that an opera? Just forget it. So anyway, I went to the opera and it was five minutes in. I realized this is not for me, but I'm glad that she's happy and loves opera. That's really cool. So it ends. And like, I think when it ends, like the lights come up and I just, I think I said, that's it. He said it. Okay. For those of you who don't know La Boheme uh, and haven't seen Rent, um, well, actually, uh, they changed the ending of La Boheme for Rent, but uh, she dies. Mimi dies of tuberculosis. And that's the end. She dies, and the curtain goes down, and it's this moment of just pure... That's it. Just, that's how it it's ends. It's just where all, everyone is in tears, and you hear this voice mm-hmm. across Wortham My voice. Theater going, that's it? Yep. And every blue hair in Houston turns around to look at my husband, and I'm like... She dies, and that's the end. You're never coming to an opera like, again. Like, she dies. Ever. I'm not saying she shouldn't have died. Characters die in operas and stuff all the time. Probably especially operas. But then it then it's over. I'm like, that's the end? <sighs> Back to the movie. Anyway. Don't ever go see an opera with this man. Don't ever take me to an opera. I won't. Okay. Um... Let's. You want to talk about Alan Arkin and yeah. the oh. badassnessness? Here's the thing. Yeah, when I saw Alan Arkin's name in the credits, I was like, "Whoa, weird." It's gonna be weird to see him. You're as like, a, "Weird, as a young baby man. Arkin." Isn't he like? Is he like 400 years old? What's he's going dead. on? Yeah, he's. Oh, he's dead. But he's dead now. Mm-hmm. I forgot that he died. Yeah, don't you feel weird? Well, I. He wasn't gonna listen to this anyway. So. Uh, you never know. Sorry, Alan Arkin's estate. Uh, <laughs> no, it was crazy to see him so young and on screen, and it's 
fascinating to learn this was his first movie role because this is a major role. It's He was nominated for an Oscar. It's very uncommon for somebody's first role to be this substantial. Usually, I mean, like... When you're that good, baby. Millions and most actors and actresses you see that, like, are leads in movies start off as supporting players, uh, bit parts, uncredited extras, you name it, just getting into the industry, getting into the acting gig. For this to be his first movie role is, uh, is astounding because he's, he's great in it. Like, yeah. That's, that's the thing, too. He's so good on screen. You're like, how is this your first on-camera role? Yeah, he is my – he is – easily and me too he my dad's one of my dad's favorite favorite uh characters in any film ever that he's ever seen because when you watch this and you need to watch this you can rent it on amazon prime on itunes whatever um also it's been released on dvd in a really really well done dvd hey um alan arkin's alive I thought he was dead. Born in 1934, still kicking. Oh, I'm so glad Alan Arkin. He's not, he's 85. Alan Arkin, I am so sorry. I he thought you were dead. He lives in Carlsbad, California. Sad. Darn right. He's on his third wife. I was super sad. Well, be happy now. Oh, I'm so happy he's alive. Was it Carl Reiner? Who's dead? Just keep talking. Anyway, um, one of my favorite, and, and my dad, like, we one of the things he used to say to me was like, watch him, watch how he does so much without saying anything with his, just the look, the looks on his face. He's always sweaty and dirty in this movie and just resignation, exasperation, frustration, humor, um, anger, not so much, just more like, Irritation. Yeah, like his fatigue um, at dealing with like his crew of screw ups. He's like, ah, oh, these guys. Just his his fa- the fatigue of dealing with the entire situation. I mean, the captain was a moron. Yeah, and he's smarter than the captain. He feels like a beleaguered camp counselor. He's he like, does. oh my god, he does. Yes. these hurry guys, hurry up, get out of the way. Yes. Or like, they There's steal a- the car and are driving down the road, and they see the blonde, and they're all like ogling the blonde, and he's like, just shut up, pay attention. I'm trying to look at the map. Just, yeah, guys, just knock it drive. Off. He, there's a part where he's trying to teach and, and my best friend from high school and I used to repeat this all the time. He's trying to, they're trying to get everybody, trying to create a distraction so they can steal this boat. So he dresses his crew, part of his crew in um, stolen clothes. And he's trying to teach them how to say emergency, everybody to get from street. Emergency, everybody to get from street. Emergency, everybody to get from street. Emergency, everybody together. Street, street. Yes, 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 yes. Emergency, emergency, emergency. Everybody to get from street. Emergency, everybody to get from street. Хорошо. Еще раз. Emergency. Everybody to get from the street. Bravo, bravo, bravo. Bravo. Yes, You're just watching him and his face as he's leading them. And if you saw me, you would see me like it's almost like she's a, waving her hands a lot. I'm waving my hands like, German, see everybody to get from street. And they say it to like one little boy who's just like, ah, and runs off. Yeah. Um. Okay, so Alan Arkin. He's fantastic in this. This is. 
He's a stage actor in his first movie role as is the exasperated Lieutenant Rozanov. Yeah. Like um, clearly had stage experience, like, but like it's such a different medium. So, but dig this. He's wanted to, he, he has wanted to be a character actor since he was five. Huh. Unable to make a living in New York, he took his wife and young child to ch- Chicago and joined what became the original Second City Troupe. Get out. I will not. Whoa. <laughs> he found his niche as a quick-witted improviser, often with various accents. So Norm- hmm. Norman Jewison had seen him in Broadway in a play. Okay. Because uh, Second City, you know. Mm-hmm kickstarts your career and wanted him for the part because he was an unknown the producer balked but Jewison auditioned him with an improvisation where a Russian spy tries to convince his interrogators that he's really with the Bolshoi ballet hmm. although he <laughs> riffed in gibberish for the film Arkin was coached by a UN translator and is really speaking Russian he won a globe for the role and was nominated for an Oscar wow. and this like totally kickstarted his career well, if like your, boom if your first movie role is this substantial well performed and Oscar nominated yeah that's a hell of a start yeah Oscar nominated four times and then one hmm. in 2007 for Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, yeah. What else did he be nominated for? Uh, he was uh, Russians for um, The Heart is Lonely Hunter mm-hmm. and for Argo. Oh, that's right. He was good in Argo. I fucking loved Argo. I would have watched a whole Argo that was just him and just John him Goodman. Just him and John Goodman. I know we said that at the time. That, that's the Argo. Just running around trying to like get the phone. Just and make, yeah, them making movies. Where's that show? Making, I know. In his memoir, he wrote, one of the things that attracted me to the project was its strong social statement. I just love this. We were smack in the middle of the Cold War at the time, and the film had the audacious message that Russians were human beings, pretty much like us. It sounds inane now, but at that moment in our history, the Soviet Union was so demonized. No, it doesn't sound inane. Not right now. (laughs) Ha ha ha. Why do you think I chose this movie? Uh, That making a movie that challenged that view was actually a pretty courageous thing to do. I think most of us in the cast were in accord with that mission, and it helped us band as a group. We very much expected a backlash of some kind, but to our amazement and delight when the film came out, it was as if the whole country breathed a sigh of relief. The relief was reflected in the reviews and in the way people approached us. There was no backlash at all. It turned out that most of the country seemed to feel the way we did and hadn't had the courage to come out and say it. And, I mean, that is actually one of the reasons... That is the reason. Well, it's one of the reasons that I chose this film is because of the Russians are the bad guys again. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knew that, that was going to happen? I thought we had taken care of that, right. but apparently not. I think one of the reasons it, it played as a relief to so many people at the time, as he said, was it's a dark, awful time. And this isn't a dark drama about no. the about the KGB or the Soviets or spies or down. This is not that. This is a chance to take a break and actually like let off some steam and laugh. And so by portraying both sides as like you know inept and goofy but ultimately decent people it's a chance to like you just you breathe a little you relax a little yep like you let some of the tension out of the room and i i see why it played well because if they'd made a drama that said the russians are equals to that would have been potentially much more controversial and gotten blowback yeah but you can sneak that message in in a comedy and do different things. Well, and it's funny that you say that because uh, the main title sequence uh, uses the American flags, red, white, and blue colors, and the Soviet hammer and sickle mm-hmm. as transitional elements, um, zooming in to each other to create a montage. This is from my new favorite and other people's, from what I've heard, new favorite website, The Art of the Title. Um, 
to create a montage which ultimately worked to establish the tone of the film, mm -hmm. which is what you're saying. Uh, the titles were created by Pablo Ferro, uh, and I highly recommend you read the three-part retrospective um, on Art of the Title. This man is flipping amazing. What else has he done? Do you know? Everything. Everything. Okay, I had a, I had page, I had a page, and I was gonna. I I'll was look gonna, him up. Let me tell you. No, I've got it. Okay. Like, no, I don't have it. I'll okay, well, up. I have the important stuff. But what I was gonna tell you is, I had two full pages of his credits. This man taught himself animation from a book he, he, by he, Preston Blair. By the way. First of all, going back, tying in earlier, Carl, Carl Reiner, still alive, 97. Okay, who's dead? Pablo Ferro is dead. He just died I knew he was dead. last year at age 83. No, I knew he was dead. So he did Dr. Strangelove, the Thomas Crown I was going to say, it seemed like Dr. Strangelove. Bullet, L.A. Confidential, Goodwill Hunting, Men in Black. Like, like you would not believe he Married was to the Mob, Beetlejuice, To hailed, Live and Die in L.A. Hailed as a genius by Stanley Kubrick and described by Jonathan Demme as the best designer of films, the Adams Family, film titles Men in, in the Black. country today. He did trailers for Clockwork Orange, Jesus Christ Superstar. Holy shit. His titles and montage sequences, montage sequences, have appeared in 12 Academy Award winning films. Oh, oh, wait. He also did uh, film stuff for Hal Ashby. Yes. Who was an editor on this. Exactly. Before he became a director. Exactly. He was friends with um, William uh, Teitla and Stan Lee. Ha uh ha. -huh. Um, and formed his own... He formed his own company. Yeah. Sorry, I just No, he formed his own company, um, Pablo Ferro Films. Yes, and I'm trying to find my page. Fascinating careers. He, he did some page. amazing work. That's my life. He did some amazing work. Ah, here we go. Um, yeah, just he did To Die For. Mm -hmm. Until his death, he continued to produce, direct, design. Uh, he won basically every award you can win. And he is the subject, um, this is for probably for Travis, who will probably the only person who will watch this or who has maybe already seen it. Uh, the subject of Richard Goldschwick's 2002 documentary, Pablo. I think that's one that would be good to watch. Yeah, and if you haven't seen Doctor Strange Love, first of all, see it; it's amazing. But the, how do you not see Doctor the credits? Uh, are great, and the credits and the trailer were very unconventional for their time. Yes. So check them out. This guy was very, very ahead of his time. So Norman Jewison, who I've ignored and I feel bad, um, hmm. is kind of the man. Like he's won. He's got the medals in Canada that that are kind of like the. British OBE, that kind of thing. C-C-O-O-N-T, blah, blah, blah. He's a Canadian film director, producer, actor, founder of the Canadian Film Center. Um, he's been nominated for the Academy Award for Best Director three times in three separate decades for In the Heat of the Night. Great movie. Yes. Great movie. Fiddler on the Roof and Moonstruck. So I All mean, very great movies, but very crap. different. Other huh. highlights of his directing career include The Cincinnati Kid, The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, The Thomas Crown Affair, mm -hmm. Jesus Christ Superstar, mm -hmm. <laughs> Rollerball, F.I.S.T., and Justice for All, A Soldier's Story. I'm not going to keep going, but lots no, of great stuff. great movies. He's addressed important social and political issues throughout his directing and producing career, often making controversial or complicated subjects accessible to mainstream audience. I see that. Audiences. He's won every all the awards, like... Mm -hmm. The Irving Thalberg and the Golden Globe. I'm just, I mean, like, I'm not even gonna 
just everything. Great director. Name it. He also has, go to Wikipedia and look at his face. I love him, and I've never met him, and I just want to hug him a lot. I think he's like 93. And he was married to his first wife until yeah. she passed away for like... 50 years. Like, He's ninety. He's ninety-three. Born in nineteen twenty-six. He's still alive. He has the best face. His first wife. They married in nineteen fifty-three. She died in 04. Yeah. And he married his second wife in twenty ten. Like, but don't you love his face? Mm-hmm. Seems like a nice guy. I know. I hope I he's a nice him. guy. Um, William Rose, the writer, uh, wrote a number of he he wrote British films and American films. He could do both. He was very adept. You just added the U's to certain words. He there you did. go. <laughs> totally did. <laughs> I could do that. Um, yeah, he did The Lady Killers, which, if you have not seen the original, is a classic. Do not see the remake. It is not a classic. It is a crap I have not seen either. It's a crap stick. Maybe I'll show you The Lady Killers. Yeah, because the remake was the one with Tom Hanks. The Coen brothers did it, and it was like really weird. Yeah. yeah. He... Um, Earned several Academy Award nominations for uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner um, and uh, The Russians Are Coming. Um, he won, actually, for... He also dated Catherine Hepburn, so what's up? Our producer is now full-on asleep and dream-barking. Yeah. <sighs> I hope you can hear it. It's adorable. Good God. Um... Did you see? Did you happen to see? Yeah, let, let me just tell you real quick, and then I want to then I want to tell you something because I think it's cool. Uh, they won gold, the Golden Globe for Best Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy. Okay. Best uh, Actor for Alan Arkin mm-hmm. in Golden Globes, and the Writers Guild of America Best Written American Comedy for William Rose. They were nominated Academy Awards Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Film Editing, wow. Best Writing Adapted Screenplay. Uh, oh, they won a Golden Globe for Best Screenplay. Uh, Directors Guild of America gave him Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Motion Pictures. Um, so they did okay. It was, yeah, they, they did fine. People seemed to enjoy the film. The poster, which is adorable, the minute I saw it, I was like, that looks like something out of Mad Magazine. And then I look it up. Hey, the movie poster was by Mad Founding Cartoonist jack davis yeah there you go so there you go it's you know he does the exaggerated features the big big boobs the giant head the Mm -hmm. big feet that kind of thing it's a very cute poster you'll see it on our website yeah um yeah i love this movie no it's fun i can't recommend it highly enough it is definitely in the manford's top 10 it's a really fun fun movie to watch you definitely get stuff out of revisiting it it's also really cool to see to see the thing about what was happening at the time because this came out in 66 we talked about the cold war stuff yes. ramifications but this is also an example of the kind of movie hollywood was about to stop making yes. forever they were phasing out of this the 60s were a huge transitional time in hollywood reflecting the changes that were going on in everywhere else so you had the final dying days of the the hayes code the censorship code the, the propriety codes that had governed hollywood for 30 something years uh, this also, this is 1966. The next year, 1967, was a pivotal year for a lot of great movies. And I really recommend a book called Pictures at a Revolution by the journalist oh, Mark Harris. You. He profiles 1967 in film and the 60s broader and talks about how it's a transitional year, profiling ah. the five Oscar-nominated movies that year. Oh, I remember when you read and it's that. Tr- you, you have stuff like, 
it's about how Hollywood in this time was having a conflict between movies like In the Heat of the Night and Doctor Doolittle, and so it's like yes. you have this like this new rise of the new type of film that's socially conscious, socially aware, that is open and honest about things, conflicting with the big bloated Hollywood road shows that were dying out in the '60s. So you know you still have like I mean '65 was I want to say Sound of Music, so things like that were still happening and and ma- winning a lot of awards, but it was a big transitional period. So. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming is a really cool example of like one of the last times Hollywood was going to make a movie yeah. like this. Yeah. Because this movie would not have been made even three years later because you were getting stuff like Easy Rider. Like this would have felt so dated, dated already. Yeah. Um, so Extremely. it's it's a it's a really cool movie and really worth watching. And yeah, that book is again Pictures at a Revolution by Mark Harris. Yeah. I should say actually. If you're hanging out with my mom, you're going to watch Gidget. You're going to watch the Frankie and Annette movies. And you're going to be real happy. Uh, mm-hmm. I I could show Daniel some... Uh, I know all the beach movies by heart. Sing the Beach Blanket bingo song. Beach Blanket bingo. Ba-dum-bum. Beach Blanket bingo. Ba-dum-bum. Beach Blanket bingo. Ba-dum-bum. That's the name of the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Take a blanket made for two now. So it's, there's more. Oh, yeah, but I'm not, I won't get into it. Okay. Sorry. Um, actually, if you want to see a lot of famous, 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 famous people when they were very young, watch the old Beach movies. You will see baby Stevie Wonder. It's Jeez. awesome. He would have been like 11. Yes, and it was awesome. Wow. Um, he did start young. That's just an aside mm-hmm. for you, the no, listener. So, I know. I thought it was a really cool movie, really funny, uh, surprisingly, like I said, gentle. Uh, great physical comedy, great humor, uh, great to see like lots of like those classic you know fifties and sixties actors doing stuff like that. Of course, I believe his name is Paul Ford. Yes, uh, known to me primarily as the mayor from The Music Man. Yeah. Um, yep. There's your Music he's Man reference also, for today. I think he's also in It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. I think he is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he is. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of course, Jonathan Winters. I I recognize there's a little kid at the end too who falls and they have to they rescue a kid. And he's a child actor from like other seventies and eighties stuff. Like he's, oh. he's he, I can't, I don't know his name. I should look him up, but he's very recognizable. Oh. So like it's he's it's, one of the cops' kids. It's full of those faces, uh, and yeah, it's just it's a really fun movie, and I really like. I thought it was cute to start. I was like, okay, I get where this is going, but like as it snowballed, yeah. and started to cut between more and more situations that were going sideways it really racked up the energy and and i really liked it so it was really funny of course like every movie that i grew up with and loved like i've shown in movies that that i've just seen thought were cool and then i've shown in movies that were like part of my life i watch like with my hands clasped together just watching the movie and then looking at him with like a big huge smile on my face and then looking back at the movie and he's just like oh my god (laughs) <laughs> it's fine. Uh, no. So, oh, yeah. Um, I thought it was a really, really fun movie. Um, again, I like that I went in not knowing too much about it. Yeah. Um, so that was a, a really fun, fun surprise. Uh, yeah. Uh, really solid. Like, really, really fun. It just, like, there's this one subplot of uh, there's, like, a local town drunk who wants to help oh out. Oh, my God, Beatrice. He's like, he's like, I got to do something to help. And Jonathan Winters is like, hey, there's a bunch of folks at the end of the island that, like, don't have phone lines shanty, or power or whatever. The shanty town kind of Ride part. your horse out there and just let them know what's going on. They do this just to get rid of the guy. So the guy then spends the next, like, hour of the movie trying to chase his horse down, who keeps running away from him. The physical comedy of that 
Mm-hmm. There's this one scene where he like pokes his head up from behind a hill, mm-hmm. and he's looking around, and you see her way, way the fuck yeah, off on in the, the horizon. Distance. It's great. And the thing is, if it had just been one scene of this guy, like trying to catch his horse and the horse runs away or whatever and you cut away you forget about him like that's the gag like you can't get the horse but like every few minutes they'll cut back to him for like a few seconds just trying to get the horse (laughs) and there's no fanfare there's no announcement it just cuts to him then cuts back the other action and so like it goes from it just starts to go between more and more locations as these things just spiral out of control and it's really funny and really well done. So yes. I thought it was really engaging. Really yes. fun. Mm-hmm. Yay! So please watch it. Mm-hmm. And if you have watched it, we would love to hear what you think. Um, so let us know at notseeingthispod at gmail.com and or, you know, on the uh, on our Not Seeing This Pod at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, That's it. Patreon. Oh, yeah. Patreon.com slash not seeing this pod. We would like to welcome our newest Patreon patron. Thank you, Patreons. We love you guys. You guys are awesome. You are super duper helping with our... Patreon-awesome? No? You go sit in the corner. Bye. We... You're really, really helping us, and we really, really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. It's very sweet of you. Because uh, this is something that we love to do, and I'm trying to talk him into trying. Well, okay, so we'll he doesn't want to talk about it. It could be a surprise. We'll talk about it. Oh, my God. Yeah. I can't believe you just did that. I, just, well, I didn't know what you were going to do. We never rehearse. Well, how, how in the world would you rehearse this? I don't know. Yeah. Chaos. Okay, do you want to do Hell Yes? Let's do Hell Yes, but first, I have a little bit of pod keeping to do oh, so. Oh, you should have done pod keeping at the beginning. I, we started talking about Russians, and then I just forgot all about oh, it. Oh, that's right. You made so, fun of my Russian. I didn't make fun of your Russian. I said, that's some good Russian. If you play the tape back, I believe I will be vindicated. Anyway, uh, some pod keeping. When we spoke about Bowfinger, my wife told the story about meeting Robert Downey Jr. in 1992 at the Republican National Convention here in Houston, Texas. No regrets. No regrets at all. Uh, and I was like, what was he doing there? We both joked about it. And then I realized days later that I knew what he was doing there. He wrote and starred in a documentary called The Last Party that was about politics. And it profiled and tracked the 1992 presidential election came out the next year. So he was there doing interviews and filming for that documentary. Yeah. It's available, by the way, to to rent and watch online. Things you like figured Amazon. that out, like, that same day. Yeah, it was later. I was like, oh, yeah, I know what he was doing there. I just forgot. It's <laughs> like, all these times I've told you this story, mm-hmm. and you're like, why in the world was Robert Downey Jr.? And, of course, it makes perfect sense. He looked so young. He's my height. Like, I understand why. I was like, what are you doing? Hello? Who are you? Oh. Yeah. So that was the pod yep. keeping. And so, so now you know, you can watch that documentary if you are so mm-hmm. driven. To, if, you are so, if you desire to so watch said to documentary. Do so said I. That's English. Yeah. I think we crushed that pretty well. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, now we can do Hell Yeahs. You go first. I'll go first. My Hell Yeah is a game I just finished playing oh, yeah. called Control. Uh, It's out now for PS4, Xbox One, and PC. It is a mix of Legion, Lost, The X-Files, Twin Peaks, Inception, others, uh, The Shining. Your mama? No, she's not in it. (laughs) Please show some respect. How dare you? No, it's great. It's this, it's it's not too long. It's like a really great compact narrative. And it's it's sci-fi and horror, and it's really engaging and well done. The visuals are on like... Anything I've really uh, seen in a game before, at least in a long, long time. Very compelling, engaging, fun. 
twisty, challenging, slick, great time. I really recommend it. It's it was very surprising, and I it reminded me so much of all those wonderful things like Lost Dharma Initiative. Oh, the, I missed the Dharma. The X Files government ex, ex, uh, exploring paranormal and supernatural activities. Uh, Legion for the aesthetics and the sense of style and the blend of sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties. Twin Peaks for the the otherworldly nature of, of things like just it's fantastic so that's my hell yeah play that game that's a good hell yeah mm-hmm. that's a good hell yeah um mine i'm stealing your <gasps> yeah i'm stealing your previous hell yes and what? i'm doing a trailer Ooh. For well what? i'm doing oh, yeah. a trailer and really a movie um a truvie there no nope. why do you talk i don't know don't i'm I, talking i blame myself oh so there are two trailers out. The second one um, just dropped a, f- a little while ago and is awesome for Joker. Now, I am very excited about this because we are a Batman family. Um, we, <laughs> as we, opposed to? As opposed to a Superman family. Yeah. Yeah, we're more of a Batman. You want to fight me? No. I mean, seriously. I think those Your are the two kinds of people. Your brother-in-law is listening right now, and he is going, Batman! No, those are the two kinds of families. Are you a Batman family or a Superman family? Yeah. We're definitely a Batman family. Now, I will family. say I am a Henry Cavill family, but I am not a Superman family. Well, yeah, we're all a Henry Woof. Cavill family. Um, no, Superman, nah. Well, we're not going to get into that. Joker. Yeah. Okay. Now, here's why I'm excited about this movie. I'm excited for many reasons. One... It looks like nothing I've ever seen before. I did not know Joaquin Phoenix, who plays Joker, could contort his body into the shapes that he does. Like you should in- see the master. <laughs> it's incredible. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, and you've got a, an incredible lineup of talent. You've got Joaquin Phoenix, Robert De Niro, who mm-hmm. was in a movie called The Godfather Part Two. Not familiar. Um, it's it's a really good movie. Godfather Part Two. Not ringing any bells. Really? Is it is it an old movie from like the eighties? Oh, yeah, like it's pretty old. I don't watch old movies from like the eighties or anything older than that. The eighties or the seventies? I don't want. Oh, so old. Yeah. Did okay. they have movies then? I don't know. Lame. Anyway, uh, Zazie Beetz, who I don't know, Mark Marin, who I love and have met, and he has some of my art. Boomer Thank lives. you very much. Um, and most importantly, my friend Brett Cullen. Um, for those of you who don't know Brett Cullen, he is a Houston boy. What, what? Uh, graduated from U of H. Um, friends with, that's where he became friends with um, Dennis, Quaid. Dennis Quaid. And he was in the theater program, and he is a rad actor. He is one of those, hey, it's that guy. Yeah, you know him from movies. You know him from everything yeah. you've seen. And speaking of Lost, he plays... Um, That's right! He was on Lost! Yep, he was on Lost. Uh, he was, what's her name's, like... Juliet's. Juliet's love. Yeah. Who then uh-huh. gets... Yeah. Um, we are a huge... He's been freaking Brett everywhere. Brett fan in our... And, um, Great guy. He is a friend, and his wife is a dear friend, and we love them. And also, he's just a fucking rad actor mm-hmm. and he's great. he is one of I think he is the only person to get to cross over uh, Batman's yeah because he was in Dark Knight Rises as that uh, as congressman senator, or senator senator I the think. one that gets like all drunk and that Catwoman takes out and like is at the bar with yeah 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 
So he, and he's playing Thomas Wayne in and Joker. He's playing Thomas Wayne in Joker. Mm-hmm. So he told me he's like they don't ever let you, you know, come back into a movie as a different character, but since this is a different company, a different It's like a different story reboot, strand, different basically. story strand. Yeah, so he gets to come back in as Thomas Wayne, and I think that's a really good casting for yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's a cool idea. He's got that look about him. You see him more in the the latest trailer that's out. Yes, and also Francis Conroy, um I believe plays uh yes, she plays Joker's mom and I love Frances Conroy with a love that will never die. She is another national treasure. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is my hell yeah. Check out the Joker trailer and check out the Joker when it comes out. Also, check out my friend Brett's new Instagram. I think it's Brett Cullen official. Brett Cullen official on Instagram for some great pics. And um, and check out our Instagram at Not Seen This Pod. Mm-hmm. And um, if you are so inclined, we would invite you to become one of our patrons at Patreon. We will be doing. We've got lots of great tiers. We're going to be doing special episodes that only you will have access to. Mm-hmm. And we will be giving shout-outs, and we will be giving all sorts of yeah, you'll feel fun special. stuff. You'll feel special, and we love you. And we love you even if you don't subscribe to Patreon. Um, mm-hmm. We just could love use you 10% the help. more if no. you do. No. <laughs> Patreon.com slash not seen this And don't forget, there is a price on Daniel's head. Yeah, it's $10 million. It's $10 million. Please don't kill him. But if you do, I will take the $10 If million. you do, you better have that $10 million ready. In cash. None of this pay tax on it, mumbo jumbo. Wait, are we saying they have to pay? It's your price. Oh yeah. So like that, the money you would take to kill me is ten million. If That's someone true. gives you ten right. million, you'll please kill don't, me. Please don't kill him. But it is ten million. Yeah. <laughs> well, we covered a lot of good ground today. I think. <laughs> I think it was a really good episode. Yep. We've informed <laughs> people about a lot of things. About our our social media presence, what I, it takes to murder me. Yes. Uh, um, Daniel yeah. loves to interact with you guys on Twitter. Not seeing this pod. I Twitter. I can't handle. I can't. I'm your Instagram girl. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh my God, which is just like, yeah, so I'm Georgia. Um, and then uh, I'm also your Facebook girl. Well, you do we split Facebook. the difference, but we it tends to be more you. But yeah. I'm, I'm the one on Twitter. Yeah, so talk to him. The tweet at me. Um, I feel like there was a song that was written for this movie by Leslie. Oh, Leslie, what's her butt? That sounds right. Oh, it doesn't matter. Besley. For- it's Leslie Besley. I've forgotten her name. So Johnny Mandel did the music, and we all know, you know, Johnny Mandel. But um, somebody wrote a really wrote a song that they weren't able to sing because their, you know, recording company wouldn't let them. Oh uh, yeah, that happened. Which I a lot. think is so stupid. That was really rough for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So maybe we'll go out. I kind of want to go out with the. The song from um, Hunt for Red October. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, we should. <laughs> Which is definitely not the same, but... But also brilliant. Also very similar in that it shows... The humanity of both sides. The humanity of both sides. You, you speak English? Get your butt over here. Get your butt over here. Suda, yeah. suda, suda. Nope. Yeah. Oh, only casualties. Only casualties. Yeah. So, anyway... We love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, we will see you guys for our last episode of this season next week. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. Bye, everybody. Bye.